Well, won't you turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. God is always gracious and good. Well, we started looking this morning at the idea of what the scripture says, blessed is the man. Or, blessed are they. Or, uh, we looked at a few passages in the Old Testament that speaks directly uh, on that. What does it mean to be blessed by the Lord and and happy is the man who is thus and happy is the man or blessed is the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways and these passages start out for us uh, blessed are the poor in spirit and we seen that the scripture says for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and what we, what we learned, I believe, what I've learned as I've been studying and researching and digging and praying that, that this is speaking of, when it speaks of for theirs is the kingdom, the idea is, and this blessing, is theirs is the love of the kingdom. Theirs is the, the light of the kingdom. And theirs is the life of the kingdom. As we look back and looked at some of these passages We've seen that the scripture says that when God uh, loves an individual, he chastens them. And that this blessing uh, of being chastened by the Lord is, is a blessing from God. We, we read that in Psalm 94 and verse 12. It says, blessed are they that are chastened of the Lord and the one that he teaches out of his law. It is a blessing. In the, in the flow of this sermon that Jesus is giving to his disciples on side of this mountain, what he is doing with them is that he is teaching them kingdom principles, principles that were foreign to them. Uh, and that's why they're so radical. They, they, they hit you right in the, in the face. They're so challenging to us. They, we know that we, there's no way we can live up to this standard. Though it's God's standard, though it is the kingdom's standard, it's impossible for us to fulfill every dot and tittle of these, this Sermon on the Mount. That's why our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I'm thankful I don't have to actually fulfill or keep this Sermon on the Mount. I'm thankful that Jesus has for me and he's fulfilled that. Though it is still the standard of the kingdom. And what we find is, is that, that this blessing that he's speaking of, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, we know he's not talking about those who are still perishing and lost in their sin, who are downcast and, and, and feeble and, and have, a, have a wounded or weak spirit or, or even a humble spirit, just not humble toward God. We're talking about people that belong to him that are part of the kingdom. It would not say theirs is the kingdom if they didn't belong to the kingdom. Amen? So we, we, we understand he's identifying people who have been born again, people who have been saved by grace. And as a result there, what we find in the flow, we find that what Jesus is doing is that he is actually chastening his disciples with disciplinary teaching. He is teaching them. And that's really what the word chasten means. It means to, to, to teach with discipline. Discipline teaching. That whatever form you use or however you use it, 
a lot of times it's, it could be verbal. Sometimes you've got to go beyond verbal and you have to show some more stern discipline actions when you teach a lesson to some, some people at some times. But most of the time, as a believer, if we would give ear unto the Lord, submit our spirit unto him, we can receive his rebuke and his chasing and then not take it lightly. And it has the corrective measures in it, no different than if a rod was put upon us and put us on another course of living. So what I see when I read this, when I, when I examine these things, what we find here is the fact that Jesus is literally chastening or disciplining his disciples about kingdom life. Something that was foreign to them. They just didn't know it. And what he does is that he, he, he begins to start. No, no one likes to be chastened. Amen? In, in all actuality. Scripture, Hebrews tells us that. That even when our parents chasten us, it was unpleasant. Well, even when the Lord chastens us, it is unpleasant to us. I mean, you can't read Matthew chapter 5 and get on into 6 and it not be unpleasant to you. Amen? I don't know about you. It's something that tastes good. It's something that, that, that has an appeal, but it sure gets unpleasant when you look at it and you realize, I sh I'm surely not living to this kingdom principle and doing these things. Amen? Well, what's the result? What, what's, what happens when we are humbled before God rather than being prideful before Him? Because that's the whole aim of chastening and that discipline instruction is to bring us to a humble place where we recognize that we are not living to that standard. It creates within us that, that mournful spirit within us. As he says here, if you look at the flow, these things follow one another. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. You see, that is a result. Something had a cause to produce this, this mourning within us. Just notice the language. The first verse. Blessed are the poor. That is a description of an individual who is humble. And then we find somebody who's actually acted on something. Notice what he says in verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. He uses that word that. That is a, an intentional action or purpose statement. So he's saying this, this humility before the Lord, when God chastens and begins to deal with us, we then act out of that how? With a mournful spirit before the Lord because we have not lived up to his ways. Watch, there's a few action elements that are, are described in here. For an example, look at verse 5. Blessed are who? The meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which... Do hunger and thirst. Can, can you see there's a flow that we that we picking up on here? He talks about one type of person, in essence, the humble person, who is also meek. But the humble person finds himself in mourning. What God does is comfort them and speaks to them. And then we find somebody who's meek, teachable before the Lord. And when you're teachable and God's showing you, then you act on what God shows you and you act in righteousness. You hunger to do righteous and you thirst for it to act in faith upon it. Are, are y'all seeing this with me? 
uh, on, on this flow. Watch what he's doing. Just the, the language that we have before us. Verse 3, I'm going to read it again. Blessed are the poor. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. That is an action, right? Which is the product of a, of a, of a spirit that is, is, is broken and needs to be mended and healed. And then you get into verse 5. Blessed are the meek. It speaks of a character trait. Verse 4 is not speaking of a character trait. It's speaking of a fact that when you find yourself being corrected by God, you're mourning over what you realize is not lining up with Him. You act in that before God. Therefore, God comes and He deals with you and He, he blesses you at that time. But we don't always live in a mournful state. That is the product of being humbled before God. Are you with me? Same way when we find blessed are... The meek in verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When you're hungry and you thirst for something, you're going to act on that hunger and that thirst. You're going you're to put yourself in a position to be fed. And then he goes in, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, dealing with a character trait, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's speaking of, uh, of traits that, that characterize the humble servant of God. And then you get into verse number 10. Watch what he says. Blessed are they which are persecuted. We're not talking about a character trait there. We're talking about the product or the result of being humble, being meek, being merciful, being pure, you find yourself in a position where those around you that may not like that will then persecute you as a result thereof. It's a flow. He's teaching us the product of what happens when God begins to correct us and we receive that correction as a blessing. He begins to uh, put us in a position where we're needy and we're humbled before Him and and we're, we're broken over the fact that we're not living up to his standards. It becomes very uncomfortable to us in his presence. So God comes and he shows us his mercy and his compassion and he comforts us. And we find out of that wooing of that comfort, there's a longing within our heart uh, to be teachable. That we want him to teach us. Show us, Lord, the way that we're to walk and the way that we're to live. And God gives us wisdom on how to take the next step. And we're able to do things in this world that we live in that not only blesses men but brings glory to Him. And in the process, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and God continues to pour it on us. And then we're going from there. We want to show other people mercy and God shows us more mercy. And before you know it, we're wanting to walk in purity and, 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 and we can see God's face and what He's doing in His hand. And then we find ourselves being peacemakers because of the great reconciliation that he's worked out in our life. And in the process of making peace, there's some people who don't want to be at peace. And they're hostile. And we persecute it. And he's just saying that that's all part of it. Don't, don't, don't fret over it. Don't worry about it. You're a blessed person as a result thereof. You'll get a reward. That reward's coming, but it's going to be at a later day. 
You just keep doing what you're doing. Amen? And then he begins to unfold some things. As he shows in verse number 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You in good company when you're in the position that you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, not for your own sake. There's a difference now. We've all done things that deserve punishment, amen? We've all said things, acted in such a way that we needed to be slapped by somebody or knocked around a little bit and get our attention. There's no reward in that whatsoever when you get, when you get persecuted for that. When you back mouth the boss or you do something, they take a little money away and you say, oh, blessed are the day that are persecuted for righteousness. No, that's not it. Amen? That don't count right there. It's when you're doing what God told you to do and you're doing it out of mercy, you're doing it out of compassion, you're doing it out of love, you're doing it to express the, the grace of God, to reconcile and be a peacemaker. You have no agenda in it whatsoever than to benefit the person and glorify God. And when you persecute it then... Scripture says there's a reward for that. But you're not going to look for the reward here. You know it's being laid up for you. Amen? You can rejoice over it. And now he's getting in to show some of this, this idea of chastening and correction. He starts in dealing with the fact that yes, his disciples are to be salt and light. He said, if salt loses its flavor, what is it? Now, he told them, his disciples, that you, you're, you're salt to the earth. And if you lose the flavor, you lose that which has seasoned you to be who you are, uh, you, you're useless. It's of no value anymore. It gets thrown out. And he's referring back to them is that unless you're in a position of what he just described, humble, meek, teachable, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, peacemaking, pure, rejoicing over the things of God, if we're not in that position, we find ourselves being of no value to the kingdom. We're useless. Amen? Really. Now, Jesus teaches them later on how do we remain useful, we got to stay connected to the vine. We've got to abide in the vine. But what he's showing them is that, that this life we live, we live with an eternal purpose. And when we're not living with that eternal purpose, we lose our flavor. Our flavor is, is rooted in him, not in ourselves. And when we lose that, and we're not abiding in him and living for him, we become useless for an eternal purpose and of no value. See, that kind of thing makes you want to mourn, don't it? Because how many times have you or me or us, how many times have we been useless? Just think about it. There's probably been quite a few. I mean, a lot of times, if we really measured it up, there's, there's more than likely been... Um, a good amount of our time has been spent as useless salt. Not making a difference whatsoever from an eternal perspective. Amen. Good for nothing eternally because we started operating in our own flesh. And a man that operates in his own flesh is filled with his own spirit. 
And the scripture says that a backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. And a man filled with his own ways is the opposite of being humble or poor in spirit who is needed before the Lord for God's work to be to go on in his life. He's not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He's not seeking the Lord because he's filled with his own ways. And we filled with our own ways, not dependent on the Lord, practicing what he just stated in these first few verses, we find ourselves useless. See, that, that, that's, that's the chastening side. He's, he's chastening them, and he's blessing them. Why he's chasing them? He's helping them recognize that you and I have a need to be flavorful. We need to be salt to the earth. And that only happens when we're doing what we've been set apart to do in Christ. Then he goes on. What does he say about the light? You're, you're a light to the world. He said, no man lights a light and hides it, right? He said, that would be crazy. That would be foolish if we stifle the light. You see, when we're useless, what we've done is that we've turned the light switch off. Amen? And we're not fulfilling. You know how it is when you, you ever walk in the house and the, you turn on the light and that light bulb goes out, poof, gets dark on you? Well, you got to do, you got to change out the light bulb, put another one in. A candle, how many of you like burning candles at the house? Smell good candles. Candle go down, you got to get another candle going. Well, we are light to the world, and if we're not shining for Jesus, we too are, are we're useless. Now, we learned this morning, remember what he said, when we start trusting in ourselves or we start trusting in other things, Isaiah 30 in verse 15 through 18 says, just return to me. In returning in me and resting in me, you shall find deliverance and salvation, you know, deliverance from these things. He said, I'll wait for you. I'll wait so that you wait on me. And he said, blessed is the man that waits upon the Lord. Amen. You see, that's a blessing. That's part of the chastening of the Lord. And we, we see that here. Now, what does he do next? What, what's the next step? Thing that he begins to chasten them about. What's verse, 10, verse 17 say? Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall not no wise pass away from the law till all be fulfilled. What Whosoever therefore shall break one of these commandments and shall teach men... He shall be called the least of these in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called the great in the kingdom. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall no wise in no case enter into the kingdom of God. He's saying that the law still has its place, and it still will fulfill what I've come to fulfill it, and it will not pass away. The thing is, we don't put our hope in the law. We put our hope in Him, in Jesus. Amen? And we believe that God's law is good. And it has a purpose. And it shows us the mercy of God. So He's, he's teaching them that, that you have to exceed what you know is being what is righteous, which you can't. So therefore, you have to lean and rest upon me. But all these things that I've spoken, all my law will still be fulfilled. You just have to trust me and, and follow my lead. He's, he's helping them. Then what does he teach? 
He's correcting them about the thoughts of anger. Verse 21. Ye have heard that it is said by them of old that thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a just cause, as the idea, Scripture does say be angry and sin not, shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or useless, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and therefore rememberest that thou brother has aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer the gift. And agree quickly with your adversary while thou art on the way with him. Least at any time the adversary deliver you into the judge and the judge deliver you to the office and the officer cast you into prison. Verily I say to you, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the other most farthing. So what is, he, what is he teaching us? He's correcting them on the thought process of how they deal with other people. People thought that they could mistreat, misuse, and abuse people. As long as they wasn't killing folks, they'd be all right. He's chastening them, correcting them to see things the kingdom way. That the scripture says that if we even have hatred in our heart toward our brother, we've committed murder. Amen. He's basically saying, look, God sees things differently than the way you've been seeing them. I'm going to bring you this word to chasten. And a humble man will mourn over that and recognize that's me. Man, I've looked at folks before and called them fools and called them useless and no good and, 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 and sorry and everything else. I know you have too. Amen. Have you ever seen somebody? Man, one of your own family members say, that joker's sorry, no good, need to be slapped upside the head and getting straight. Did you ever say that? I know I ain't the only one here, Davin. Boaz, you ever say that about one of your family members? Now, Jesus says we, 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 we ought to not treat people that way. Amen? Really? So he's chasing us. Then we recognize when you see this, you really say, oh, my, me, me. That, he's talking to me today. He's dealing with me. He's dealing with me. Lord, help me, teach me on how not to live like that and think that way. And all of a sudden, God begins to work with you, and you begin to hunger and thirst for his way. He comforts you and guides you. Before you know it, you're starting to be a lot more merciful than you used to be. Amen? You're starting to be a peacemaker than somebody who's agitating and causing conflict and gossip and stirring up this one against that one. Why? Because God's brought the message of the kingdom to you. And that's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For the love of the kingdom, the chastening hand of God, is theirs. The light of the kingdom is theirs. The revelation of the precious word of God, how God views things. And then before you know it, you're walking in the life of the kingdom. You're living by kingdom principles. Why? Because God and his blessings chastened and correct and then clarified truth to your life begin to transform and change you. To him be the glory.
See, he goes on in verse 27, and he talks about this idea of sin. He says, Ye have heard that it is said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, to long after her, to crave her, to take a natural desire and intensify it. That's what lust is. Lust is something that's, that starts out natural. It's a natural thing for a man to be attracted to a woman. That's natural. The way we've been wired and the way we've been created. It's unnatural for men to burn with lust after men. And everybody said, I know our culture says different, but that's an unnatural thing. But it is natural for men to be attracted to women. It becomes lust when that natural desire is fed and intensified and begin to control the thought process. It becomes lust. And the scripture says that that right there is literally before the eyes of the Lord, adultery. Lust is adultery. What does that ought to do to us? Oh, me. Because, oh, look, everybody has at some point in time, right? Has had lust toward the opposite sex. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's chasing it. He's correcting it. He's showing them the way God sees it. I know he said, I know you hadn't seen it this way. I know it's been said, thou shalt not commit adultery, and that's true. But I want to I tell you what this really means. It means that if you live with excess desire toward the opposite sex, you've already broken that law. Help me, Lord. Show me a better way. Enrapture my eyes and my heart toward your affection. That that's where this sermon is all about. It's a message that he delivers to his people. That is a blessing to his people because he's chastening his people to correct his people, to guide his people, and show them where the love of God is centered. Look in verse 31. He deals with the area of divorce. And he goes on to say, it had been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing, a certificate of divorcement. But I say to you that whosoever put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. You're a contributor to sin. And whoever shall marry her that is divorced is committing adultery. He's saying, look, y'all thought y'all were getting away with it because y'all wrote a legal little uh, thing the, to, 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 um, and Moses, the scripture says, Moses did that to protect the woman so that she wouldn't be just thrown away and left to the dogs. It was to give her freedom and protect her. But what you're doing, you think you can get away with it, but you are causing her to commit adultery and you are winding up committing adultery. You're just messing it all up is what he's showing. You need mercy, amen? He's just correcting them on how to see things. Verse number 30, uh, excuse me, verse 33, he gets in on the area of oaths about making vows. Again, ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time that thou shalt 
not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shall thou swear by thy head, because thou cannot make thy one hair white or black. You don't have any power over that. But let your communication be simply yea and yea or nay and nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh from where? He just said, look, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? And when you start doing anything more than that, you're pulling it up from the pits of hell is what he's saying. So he's helping them, isn't he? He's helping his people. Look in verse number 38. You have heard it said that an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So I wasn't taught that. Somebody hits you, you hit them back. And you hurt them. And you hurt them so you'll never have to hurt them again. That's, the, what, I, that's what I was taught. And if any man sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. But whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to him that asked thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. Man, this is some fundamental, radical teaching, isn't it? He has to chasten, that is, discipline teaching to change the way they see things. As his people. Dealing with the enemy. You have heard. Verse 43. You have heard that it had been said. That thou shalt love thy neighbor. And do what to thy enemy. Hate thine enemy. But I say to you. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And Man this is getting tough ain't it. This is this is called this is this is calling for some mourning here. That you may be the children of your father, that is, that you may be identified. There's not one thing you do to become a child of God. That's what Christ accomplished for us. But when we act this way, what do we do? We are identified as the children of God. And this is the aim. You see, for theirs is the kingdom, speaking of, for theirs is the love of the kingdom. For theirs is the, the light of the kingdom. For theirs is the life of the kingdom. They identified as children of the Most High. Verse 45, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil, and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans, the sinners, do the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? But ye therefore, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Help us, Lord. Amen. 
That's why he started out this sermon with the simple word, blessed. Blessed is the man who humbles himself before God, who receives the chastening of God, so that he looks at a passage like that and says, that's not me, O Lord. Forgive me. Help me. Blessed are the meek who says, God, I need you to teach me how to live that way. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who understands they're deplete of that apart from his grace. Those who are merciful to those who are not living up to that way of living. Those who are pure. Who desire to benefit people with no gain for themselves. But, and to glorify God for his name's sake and his name's sake alone. They see the hand. They see the face of God at work. The peacemakers who desire to reconcile people rather than holding grudges and being a, uh, going against the enemy. They want to help people be reconciled and brought together. That's why he started it out. Blessed is the man that is chastened of God for whom he teaches out of his law. He's blessed, amen. He's blessed. So that's how I believe, I believe that's the intent of why he's preaching what he's preaching. He's unveiling kingdom life. And it begins with him chastening and correcting and clarifying the ways of God to his people, to his followers, whom he's empowered by calling them to come follow after him. They repented. They followed him. He empowered them to be his. They can believe. They walk with him. Now he's teaching them how to live according to the kingdom. Amen? Now, you don't have to keep these to be part of the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Because if you and I had to fulfill this to belong to God, you can count it out. It ain't going to happen. Amen? And if you ever get around anybody that teaches you got to fulfill these to be part of the kingdom of God, get away from them because all they are is illegalists and they're not seeing the things by the grace of God and they don't understand the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it ought to be our aim, as Jesus said, be ye perfect for which thy Father in heaven is perfect. But when we're not, we're convicted by that. We seek help from him and we desire to walk with him. But our perfection is in Christ. Amen. And therefore, we enable to walk in these things. And he's constantly working, little by little, like we learned last week, to rid us of those old way of thinking to this newer way of thinking. Amen? Amen. The kingdom life. To him be the praise. So praise God if God's chastening you. Amen? Because he chastens every, those that he loves, and every son he receives, the scripture says he scourges, right? Well, he's a scourging right now. That's what he's doing. Pointing out to him be the praise. Father, we thank you tonight. We want to bless you, give you glory. We ask you to help us as we seek your face and as you teach us your ways. I pray that we will not 
minimize nor take lightly the chastening that comes from you, nor your correction or the clarification of your truth. We're thankful and we're blessed and we want to rejoice in your presence for unveiling these things to us. Enable us with your spirit. Grant us, I pray, mercy to be merciful and compassionate and that that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.